Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I am the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. You could really help us out if you go to iTunes and do a review and rating. We would love to hear feedback from the podcast if this has blessed you or has benefited you in some way. Hopefully you're enjoying the small mini podcast that we're having, Strength for Today through the book of Philippians, every day, Lord willing. And I pray those have been a blessing to you. Uh, What I want to address today is something that I'm titling the five points of the angry Calvinist. It's kind of a play on the five points of Calvinism. Um, Obviously, a lot of you that listen to this podcast are in the Reformed camp. Some of you may not be. Many of you know that we've had some debates with non-Calvinists, traditional Southern Baptists, Uh, We talk about the doctrines of grace a lot on this podcast. Um, I never want to be accused of talking about just one thing and and having just one sticking point. Um, If you notice, hopefully this podcast covers a lot of different topics. Um, But from time to time, and, and, and a lot of the times, we'll talk about Calvinism and Reformed theology and the doctrines of grace. And so what I want to do is I want to address maybe some of my listeners that are maybe younger Calvinists or those that tend to become very negative, be a very accusatory. Uh, you can become an arrogant or an angry Calvinist. And I've been guilty at this at times myself, um, especially in the early stages when I first embraced the doctrines of grace. You can become uh, very arrogant And you can walk around wondering why nobody else has seen the light the way that you have. And you you feel a little betrayed that you didn't come to grips with these truths earlier in your Christian walk. And so uh, you can become puffed up with pride. You can become arrogant. Uh, Some people call it the cage stage of Calvinism where you're right and everybody's wrong. Um, I've heard stories about young pastors that just graduated from seminary and they go to their first church and they basically blow up the church because instead of loving the people and preaching expositionally in the first six months, they want to do a sermon series on Tulip and basically, uh, you know, force Reformed theology down people's throats. And so as a Reformed theologian, a Calvinist, and as a pastor, and as a husband who has been gently corrected at times by my loving wife, who has reminded me of what's really important, I think it's important that we, from time to time, step back from our tribe, step back from our Calvinistic group, if you will, and just ask some questions about our attitude. Are we angry, arrogant Calvinists? Let me just share with you a couple of passages of Scripture that help set the stage for these five points of the angry Calvinist. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, Paul tells us, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, Paul's telling us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, and probably outsiders would be non-believers. 
Um, or we could just say people that don't agree with us. Those that are, that are maybe, um, I think in Paul's context here, non-Christians. But let's just say those that don't agree with us. Are we speaking graciously? Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt. Um, it's, there's a lot of vitriol that goes on in the blogosphere. There's a lot of vitriol that goes on in podcasts. Um, you turn on the television right now, not just with Calvinism, but our, our nation is so polarized and there's people yelling and screaming at each other and using just terrible language and name calling. Um, it, it's, it's sad to see our culture going down that way and it's even sadder to see Christians yelling and screaming and name-calling. Now, I'm all for heated debate. I'm all for bantering about disagreements. I'm all for being forceful and being articulate in what you believe and, and not backing down and being a jellyfish but having backbone. But I think you can do that in a way that's gracious, that's seasoned with salt. Um, you think about men of the past, like Martin Lloyd-Jones, very strong man, strong opinions. If you ever listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones or you go read Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a very opinionated individual. He was pretty set in his ways, especially on his opinions about preaching. Um, but he was a very gracious man, and he spoke gracefully. You see, we who are recipients of God's sovereign grace should be the most gracious people, even with people we disagree. Let your speech always be gracious Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This requires wisdom, Paul says. Walk in wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul is talking about his ministry when he planted the church in Thessalonica. He was only there really on three Sabbaths until he had to flee the town because there was a mob riot. And, but he was, when he was there, he says, I was gentle among you. I was like a nursing mother. And so, especially those of us that are in pastoral ministry, we can't always be prickly. We can't always be forceful. There's times where we have to be gentle. We have to um, make sure that we're, we're, we're treating people with compassion and tenderness. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, Paul says, And the Lord's servant. Now, let's just stop right there. Obviously, this is one of the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing to a pastor. Timothy. And so when he says the Lord's servant, he's talking about pastors in particular, but I think by extension, all Christians, but particularly pastors, those in ministry. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Not be quarrelsome. Are you just looking to pick a fight? Are you quarreling for the sake of being quarrelsome? But are you kind to everyone, even those that disagree with you? Are you kind to those that disagree with you? Are you able to teach? Do you patiently endure evil? Do you correct your opponents with gentleness? Notice Paul didn't just say correct your opponents. Correct your opponents with gentleness. And then there's the sovereignty of God there. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may perhaps not. We don't know the secret things of God. God may lead them to a knowledge of saving faith. God may regenerate them. We don't know. 
we don't know the secret things of God. Our job is to correct them with gentleness, to be kind, to not be quarrelsome. And that's a difficult place to go, especially when um, tensions are hot and emotions are running high. Are you correcting your opponents with gentleness? 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I mean, we shouldn't have to even mention these things because they're common decency things, but these are evidences of a strong, mature Christian who can engage people that disagree. Are you doing it with gentleness? Are you doing it with respect? Are you doing it like a tender mother? Are you walking in wisdom? Is your speech always gracious? Is this your attitude? The things that come out of your mouth, even the thoughts that you have, when you engage people that are different than you. And maybe even on a minor doctrinal point. So, let's, with that, those scriptures being our backdrop, our foundation, let's look at the five points. They're really questions that I'm asking us. The five questions or the five points to ask about your Calvinism to see if you are an angry, arrogant Calvinist. Here's point number one. Do I love a system more than I love Jesus? Are you enamored with the doctrines of grace proper more so than you love Jesus? What's the great commandment? Mark 12, 28-31. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and he quotes the Shema here from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, that's the ultimate calling in our lives as believers is to love Jesus with the totality of who we are. Are we fervently, passionately loving Jesus himself, the person of Christ, or do we love the system? Are we so enamored with the system? Do we talk more about the system, the theology, than we are cultivating that relationship with Christ? Which really leads to the second one. I think they're related. And I've been guilty of this. I have to be honest with you. Here's, here's point number two or question number two. Do I focus more on filling my head with theology to the neglect of obeying Jesus as a disciple? You know, I've been convicted about this over the years because I'm a theology geek. You know, some people, uh, this is kind of a, gen a general statement. Uh, you talk about people being categorized with head, heart, and hands type people. There's the, the head people that love to read books, love to read theology, love to study, love to talk theology. They're, they're very much into ideas and reading and they're head people. Then there's heart people. Those are the people that are moved by emotions. They're very sensitive. They're compassionate. They're caring. Um, they're, they're very, um, they wear their emotions on their sleeve, if you will. They, they're very heartfelt. 
And then you have the hands people, people that just like to do things. I don't like to talk theology. I don't like to talk my feelings. Give me something to do. I like to do things with my hands. I, I feel productive. I feel like I'm serving the Lord when I'm, when I'm serving with my hands. And so I know that's a, a really broad generality when you talk about people, but you can probably think about yourself. Are you a head person, a heart person, or a hands person? And I'm, I'm more of a head person. I love to read. Love to read theology. Love to read biographies of, of Christians, love to read a lot of different books, and there's been times in my life, more often than not, I'd have to admit that I was more concerned with filling my head with theology of things that I needed to know, that I wasn't cultivating a daily walk with Christ as His disciple and just obeying Him from my heart. And I've had to stop and ask the Lord to really help me with this, that Lord, yes, I want my head to be filled with true doctrine. I'm not downplaying doctrine at all, but I just don't want my head so filled with doctrine that my heart is dry. My heart is cold towards you. But yes, my head's filled with theological facts, but my heart is far from you. What does Jesus say in Luke 9, 23-25? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Yes, should we fill our heads with deep theology? Should we be sound in our doctrine? Should we study to, to make sure that we're an approved workman that's correctly and accurately handling the word of truth? Absolutely. But my fear is, especially in the, in the Calvinistic movement, especially among myself, those of us that lean more towards head, we can be so much into filling our heads with theology, reading for theology, that we don't cultivate just the daily walk with Christ. We're not taking up our cross daily and following Him. We're not cultivating that, that close relationship with Jesus. We're not beholding the glories of Christ in our daily walk. Our, our heads may be full, but our hearts may be cold and far from the Lord. Point number three. Do I talk more about the sovereignty of God than talking about God Himself? And that's a nuance. We as Calvinists harp on the sovereignty of God. We talk about it a lot. We, 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 we love the sovereignty of God. But as my wife often reminds me, there's a bunch of other attributes of God that are, that are in the Bible besides His sovereignty. Yes, do we want to talk about the sovereignty of God? But is that His only attribute? And are we talking more about God's sovereignty than God? Uh, think about that for a moment. Think about the, the conversations you've had with your friends, with your family, with church members, maybe conversations you had. Has it been more theological debates about God's sovereignty, or have you talked more about just the glories of God? Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why have we been chosen for salvation? <laughs> Is it so we can go around talking about simply, only, exclusively, the sovereignty of God? Or has God chosen us and saved us and called us out of darkness into His marvelous light that we may proclaim His excellencies? Plural all of the glorious attributes of God. You know, we can become a one-string banjo 
in talking about God's sovereignty when there are so many other attributes of God. So make sure as you think about your theology and your Calvinism that you're not so much focusing on the sovereignty of God to the neglect of all the other attributes and excellencies that God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. Point four, am I trying to win more converts to Calvinism than converts to Christ? I want you to think about this for a moment. Are you an evangelistic champion for Calvinism or are you an evangelistic champion for Christ? Now, none of us would openly admit that. We would never say, oh, yeah, I, I want to see people saved. I want to share my faith. But ask yourself, do I talk to, do, am I trying to, to convince more people to become Calvinist? And is that where all my energy is in trying to, 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 to convince and convert people to Calvinism? Than it is to actually go to lost people who are without Christ and plead with them to come to Christ in repentance and faith. Luke 24, 45 through 47. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, It is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Are we proclaiming His name? Are we proclaiming forgiveness of sins? Are we urging people to repent? All nations. Are we calling people to faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Or are we more concerned about making sure that those crazy Arminian friends of mine get converted to Calvinism? Are we on a crusade for Calvinism? Or are we evangelistically seeking the lost so that they can hear the gospel and repent and believe? Here's point five, which may be a little bit more controversial, but I think it's one we need to talk about. Here's the fifth point to ask yourself, am I an angry, arrogant Calvinist? Do I exclusively listen to Calvinists exactly like me, or can I learn from others outside my tribe? Now think about this for a moment. We in the Reformed camp, tribe, we have our heroes. We have our John Piper and John MacArthur, and Tim Keller, and Matt Chandler, and Alistair Begg, and Vody Bauckham, and Paul Washer, and Art Azurdia, and all of our, our you know, Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, whoever it is, D.A. Carson, who, whoever it is that you listen to or you read. And so sometimes we can become so siloed into only listening to Reformed voices and even those that are exactly like us that we may miss out on some biblical wisdom from people outside our tribe. Can you learn something from an Arminian synergist? Yes, even though you disagree on soteriology. Can you learn something from a church growth expert that may be more into pragmatism? Yes, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they say. I had an Old Testament professor at seminary, and we had to read this one book, and he told us it was a book by a Jewish scholar, not a Christian, a Jewish scholar, but it was on how to read Old Testament narrative. And it was an excellent book on just literary genre of Old Testament Hebrew narrative. And he told us, he says, you're going to learn a lot on how to read the scriptures, but this guy's a wacko. This guy's, he's not a believer. So it's like eating fish. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. There's going to be a lot of good meat in this 
book, but there's going to be a lot of bones you got to spit out. That's part of seminary. You got to be discerning. There are some things you can learn from people that are different. And so Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. An abundance of counselors. You know, sometimes we can have blind spots in our own theology, blind spots within our own tribe. Um, I challenge you, listen to a sermon from somebody who is not within your tribe, not for the purpose of critiquing it. And that's one of the things that I think happens a lot. We, we tend to critique people that aren't like us. We tend to uh, be quick to judge. Just listen to it and ask yourself, was there any redeeming value? Can I, can I learn something from this? Or maybe read a book by somebody that's outside your tribe. I'm not saying make that your main diet. And obviously you need to be discerning and you don't want to read heresy. But I think sometimes the, 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 those that are in polemics, those that are apologetics, we're so afraid of being exposed to something outside of our tribe, outside of our group, that we can't see that God in His common grace may give wisdom and even biblical insight to people that aren't exactly like us. So these have been the five points of an angry Calvinist. Let me just ask you again. Point number one, do I love a system more than I love Jesus? Point number two, do I focus more on filling my head with theology to the neglect of obeying Jesus as a disciple? Point number three, do I talk more about the sovereignty of God than talking about God Himself? Point four, am I trying to win more converts to Calvinism than I am trying to seek to to win converts to Christ through evangelism? And point number five, do I listen or read or expose myself exclusively to Calvinists exactly like me or can I learn from others outside my tribe? My fear and seeing a lot that goes on on Facebook, on Twitter, on blogs, on podcasts, is that there's this attitude of bunkering down, defensive, aggressive, belligerent posture, arrogance, me and my Calvinistic tribe against the whole world, we're right and everybody's wrong, that I think in some ways we're losing our testimony. Now, don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that we need to abandon the theology of Calvinism. No. I'm just saying that we need to make sure that we're biblical in how we treat people. Are we talking in ways that our speech is gracious, seasoned with salt? Are we being gentle when we're correcting our opponents? Are we being quarrelsome just for the sake of picking a fight? Are we being respectful in how we engage with other people? I think that there's going to be more opportunities for you to have conversations and go further in dialogue when you do show respect, when you do show gentleness. You can still have strong, strong convictions. You can still say things with poignant clarity. And you can really hammer home what you believe and have great conversations. Just make sure you do it. And one of the things that really bothers me is blog thread comments and Facebook comments. I mean, there's only so much that you can convey behind a keyboard that gets lost when you're not in face-to-face dialogue. 
And there's complex things that happen in interpersonal communication with, when you've got tone of voice and nonverbal cues and, and, and facial expression and, and um, tone of voice and things like that that you just don't get in electronic media. And so for me personally, there's a lot of times where I want to jump into a blog or I, I read a blog and I'm like, oh my goodness, especially like you go to SBC today and you're like every single blog post is one you just want to rip your hair out because it's like, I can't believe they're, they're saying this. And you go look at the threads and you're like, all it is is the same five people just, just kind of going back and bantering and, and even threads on Facebook. And I'm not saying don't get involved in that type of stuff. I'm just saying make the most use of time. If you're spending all day engaging in belligerent fights with Christians over secondary points of doctrine to the neglect of your family, to the neglect of your personal walk with God, to the neglect of serving in your church, to the neglect of evangelism, you're out of balance. You're out of balance. And so sometimes I see people on these threads, it's like, man, what do they do all day long in front of their computer just waiting to pounce on an Arminian? And they spend all their time trying to pick a fight. There are bigger battles to fight. We are in a culture that is rapidly heading downhill fast. And I can link arms with Arminian and traditional non-Calvinist Southern Baptist who hold fast to the inerrancy of Scripture, who believe in grace alone, who believe Jesus is the only way, who believe in the cross, who believe in the Trinity, who believe in the dogma of Scripture. I can link arms in fighting the culture and sharing the gospel and devote my energies to those types of things because I think that's where really we're going to have to be we're going to be heading in the near future. Now yes, we need to hold on to our distinctives and we need to be discerning on how we partner, but our differences in the grand scheme of things really aren't that great when it comes to the issues that we're facing in our world. Well, I hope this has been a beneficial podcast. It's been somewhat shorter than normal, but I just wanted to let you all uh, kind of just hear my thoughts about um, some things that have been mulling around, uh, things that I'm just observing and where I used to be and sometimes the attitude I still have. Um, and so you need to check yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to expose those things in your heart. You know, are you an angry, arrogant Calvinist? Well, until next time, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. If you do have a question that you'd like for me to answer on a future podcast, you can email me. Um, that's Sean Cole or SeanCole.net um, is my, my website. My email is Sean at ebc-online.org. But if you go to SeanCole.net, you can find all of that contact information. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to interact with you. And um, thank you for listening. May you be blessed by the podcast today. May God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.